Hello and welcome to The Personal Investor. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, it's a quarterly investment outlook special where we put your questions to the Outlook's author, Tom Stevenson. Questions this time reflected the current nervousness of markets. Hopefully Tom's answers can bring some calm. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Each quarter, Fidelity publishes its investment outlook a snapshot of the market's landscape that rounds up the issues on the minds of investors. An invaluable part of that is the questions that we invite you to submit to us, and in particular to the Outlook's author, Tom Stevenson. Tom and I have answered some of those questions in a special video that accompanies the Outlook, and you can find that, as well as the Outlook itself, at the Markets and Insights section of our website at fidelity.co.uk. The podcast this week takes on even more of those questions, and Tom is here with me to do that. Tom, welcome along. Um, Before we get to the questions, can we have a word on the past few months in markets since the last outlook in the summer? You and I have done many of these Q&As over the years, um, but I can't remember the questions ever reflecting quite so much fear from investors as we've got right now. And that includes periods like the pandemic. Um, Is that just my recency bias or do you detect (laughs) a similar level of fear in the questions this time? No, I think there is a lot of fear. among investors at the moment. And I think uh, it's because the last three months actually have built on the previous six months. I mean, this has been going on for quite a long time now. I mean, markets have been falling all year and they've been falling sort of pretty much across the board. They haven't, there hasn't really been anywhere, anywhere to hide. So, you know, whichever asset class or um, geographical region you've been invested in, uh, it's not been a great year, so I think that people can people can put up with it, you know, for for a short period of time. But nine months is quite a long time to watch the value of your investments falling, and uh, so I think that is that's what explains the sort of this growing sense of, you know, what's going to happen now. You know, people really looking for some uh, some some reassurance that that this is not going to go on forever and it's going to turn around. Yeah, and well. We'll get to why there might there might be some reasons for optimism, uh, Tom. But uh, let's wade into these questions. Um, and the first one is this. It reflects actually a number of questions that, that we got on this topic. And it, it is this. Now that the bond bull market is over and yields have risen considerably, is it time to allocate a majority weighting to bonds in a portfolio focused on income? So... Question about the bond market there, but also about this this income point mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, well, I, I actually think it is. I do, do you know what? I feel more positive about the the bond market than I have done um, in in a long time, and I'm and, I, and I'm not alone actually. I mean, I read in the uh, in the FT just this morning of uh, uh, an interesting article from uh, from a market strategist who who took exactly the same view that that, that I hold, which is that uh, bond yields have moved. Um, so far and, and, and so quickly that they now look um, very attractive. And there have been a number of reasons for that. I mean, the primary reason, of course, is that we've got persistently high inflation, rising interest rates. That's pushed up bond yields. Here in the UK, recently, we've had uh, the, the added uh, factor of um, uh, pension funds uh, scrabbling around for extra 
collateral against some derivative contracts they've taken out. It's very complicated. Uh, uh, It's so complicated that not many people really understand what's going on. But the net result has been that pension funds have been selling um, their holdings of government bonds. And that's pushed the yields even higher. So I think, you know, we've got a situation of overshoot at the moment where bond yields have really gone to levels at which uh, they offer investors both the opportunity to lock in uh, a relatively attractive income, high yield, and because of where we are in the economic cycle, um, coming up towards probably recession on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, I think that central banks are going to find it difficult to sustain interest rates at um, the levels they're heading towards. So I think that at some point early next year, uh, the Federal Reserve and other central banks will pivot and the interest rates will start falling again. And that will help uh, deliver a capital gain as well as that high income for bond investors. So I think that this is a good time to be looking at the bond market, really for the first time in many years. And in the UK context, it does sort of feel like a moment of sort of maximum pessimism because uh, we've we've had the events of the last two weeks and, and how UK gilt markets have moved in particular and that relates to what the government's been doing you and i actually answered a question on the video version of this this q a which people can go and watch so we won't go over that but it's worth saying maybe that prices have moved to, to factor in something like a worst case scenario it seems when it comes to inflation and interest rate expectations anything more positive than that is going to see bond prices rise Yes, I think that you know the bond, the bond market uh, has done what it's meant to do, which is to anticipate uh, the both the movement, the likely movements in interest rates, um, but also um, you know expectations about what's going to happen to the economy. And I think that they have already priced in that that worst case scenario. So the expectation is that U.S. interest rates will will peak uh, at about four uh, point. Seven percent in the spring of next year, um, and the ten-year Treasury uh, bond is yielding about four percent at the moment. So it's pretty much there, um, and uh, so I think that yeah, the market has priced in what's likely to happen. Okay, okay. Well, let's move on for now, Tom, uh, to the second question. Uh, again, we had a, a, a few questions on this on this same topic, but the the one I've picked out is this. Gold presented a picture of confusion for the investment world in the last year. Do we really understand the future factors influencing the pricing of this, in inverted commas, safe commodity? So that's really about uh, movements in gold and, and what drives that. Yes, and I think it's been a bit of a learning experience for lots of people, and, I, and I'd include myself in, in, in that category. I think that there's been a view that, that gold uh, acts as a kind of safe haven uh, at times of um, uncertainty, economic and geopolitical uncertainty, but also can act as a kind of hedge against um, inflation. And I think what we've, what we've learned this year is that actually more important uh, to the valuation of gold is uh, what's called real or inflation-adjusted uh, interest rates. And um, because gold does not pay an income, uh, unlike a share or indeed a bond, um, when interest rates, when real inflation-adjusted interest rates are rising elsewhere, 
the opportunity cost, if you like, of holding gold actually increases. So it becomes less valuable to people. And that's what's happened at the moment, that, that bond yields have risen so far and expectations of where inflation is going to be have come down. And the combination of those two means that we now have what's called positive real interest rates. So nominal bond yields are actually now above uh, the expected rate of inflation in, in, in a few years' time. And that means that investors, there's more of an incentive for investors to hold an asset like a bond than there is for them to hold gold. And that is why the gold price has fallen this year. Interestingly, if you're investing in the UK, then the, the, the gold price in pounds has actually gone sideways this year. I was just yeah. looking at the chart earlier on uh, today for an, another reason. And, and I was quite surprised by this because in dollars, of course, it's fallen since the beginning of the year from about $2,000 an ounce to about $1,650. Um, uh, because of the fall in the pound against uh, the dollar, it's gone sideways in, in pound terms. And, and the reason I looked at that because I was looking at a, at a gold ETF and I was a bit surprised to look at the performance of this gold ETF, which is actually, you know, done pretty well. And I thought, why would that be the case? And the reason is the, the, the currency effect. Yeah, that's, that's, all, that's all fascinating, Tom. A very good uh, sort of technical explanation of the movements in gold. I can't match that, to be honest. But what I had to say about this was, was really the, the questioner's use of, of safe as a descriptor of gold. And I, I guess a lot of people would, would, would use that or assume that. That's not quite right, is it? Because gold is not is not safe. It's, it's not low volatility, is the point. It can be contrarian to, and a hedge, as you say, to other mainstream assets. But it's not low volatility, and prices can move a lot. Um, and that's and that's clearly happened. And and also, it's not a sort of. I, I in fact, on a previous episode of the podcast, we, we we've looked at this where, over very long periods gold can be a hedge against inflation but in the short term it's really not such a simple story for the kinds of factors that you've described there you know um it's it should be it can perform a role at the margins but don't expect it to ever do exactly what you think no and i think probably the way to look at gold is as a is as a diversifying asset because it probably behaves differently from other asset classes so it's a useful thing to have in a portfolio uh, you know, in a relatively small, you know, proportion of a portfolio, but it's useful because it probably moves in in different directions from from other assets, and that can be helpful to smooth the ride. Okay, okay. Well, let's move on for now, Tom. Uh, the next question is this: uh, Investors always excuse their losses by pointing out that they are long term investors. I've no idea what he means by that. Um, I realise that it depends on what you aim for, but do you need a definition of how long? How, of how long is long term before you invest? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a case of excusing their losses. I think it's, I think it's a, it, it's just a, a recognition of the fact that in the short term, equity markets, stock markets are volatile. They yeah. they move up and down, um, and that if you are an, if you are investing in the stock market, then you need to take a, a, a long term view over the long run. Shares deliver better returns than other assets like bonds and, and cash. Um, uh, but, they, but the price that you pay for that is, is volatility. And of course, you know, this year has been a, an extreme example of that. And, you know, the, the US stock market is 25% lower than it was at the beginning of the year. That's, that's fairly extreme volatility. But 
over the long haul, uh, the US stock market has been a fantastic I- investment. Yeah. So I think, you know, we, we must all consider ourselves to be long term investors. And if we're not long term investors, if we need our money in the short term for whatever reason, if we need to buy a house or for whatever reason, um, then maybe the stock market is not the place to be. It's interesting this because it's always struck me that, yeah, I mean, I've repeated the messaging around long term investing myself many, many, many times for all the reasons that you say there, you know, in history suggests that it is a good place to be in the long term. Um, But working out your own time horizon is not so straightforward. I mean, people will often say, well, don't invest in something unless you can stay in it for five years. And that may be the case when you invest. But what what about a year later? Does that mean you shouldn't be invested because it's four years until you need money. You know, you've got to kind of constantly sort of reassess, don't you? And sort of think about when you might need that money and, and, and pay attention to these rules, but understand that really they can be no more than a than a framework, really. Um, and that you just want to be in a position or you want to avoid being in the position of having to sell when you don't want to. And yeah, that's, that's the key. That is the key, actually. Um, and uh, so it's not really about, the, you know, the, the long term nature of the investments it's whether your financial position is sufficiently um, uh, robust to enable you to ignore what's going on in the stock market because ultimately that's that's the position you want to be in if the market falls by 25 percent but you have got plenty of ready cash to to tide you over for the next couple of years you don't really care that it's fallen by 25 percent because you know that in due course uh it's it's going to recover so that's 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 the key yeah absolutely it's 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 making sure that your personal situation is strong enough to tide you over yeah okay okay well the next question tom is far more specific and it is uh to do with one particular sector of uh, the stock market why are house builders priced so low when they are when there are not enough homes Persimmon, he gives an example, even owns bricks and roof tile works, so they are vertically integrated. I guess what he's saying there is that um, they've pinched bits of the value chain because of, 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 of their operations. What about house builders, Tom? Because he's right there, you know, um, the climate in general should be good for house builders, but uh, they've not been having a great time. So what's the answer? Well, I mean, I guess the, the long term uh, case for investing in in house builders is is good and it remains good because um, we haven't built enough houses in this country for many years and uh, there is a shortage that's one of the reasons why house prices are so high uh, in the short term though it's a completely different situation uh, uh, interest rates are rising and this is particularly an issue at the moment because so many people in this country have mortgages which are at a fixed rate um, and that's fine for the duration of the of the fix. Um, but then there's a kind of cliff edge at the end of the fix where you need to roll over um, uh, your debt into a into a new um, fixed rate mortgage. And depending on what the circumstances are at the time, uh, you may be able to get a similar rate of interest or you may not. And what we're facing at the moment is uh, mortgage rates are a lot higher than they were when people took out their fixed rate mortgages two years ago or five years ago. Uh, and I think over the next year, we're going to have a situation where many people uh, are faced with much higher uh, mortgage payments than they've been used to and that is going to be a real negative for the housing market so i i would anticipate that that um house prices uh, over the next uh, year or two um you know 
do not do very well at all. I mean, they may they may well fall back um, significantly as a consequence of that. That's bad news for house builders, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this. I mean, just on the house building point, it's a it's a it's the difference between. I mean, I heard a a, a sort of a metaphor for this. It's like comparing the climate and the change in the climate over many years versus the day to day weather mm-hmm. forecast, right? So. Yes, the climate is good in terms of uh, us needing more houses and, and builders will provide them, but the weather can change. And actually, and that isn't even a very short-term factor, is it? You know, the the the, the potential for house prices to fall, you know, that is that is a serious a serious proposition now. And actually, this question is gives us an opportunity to talk about that because you feel that you know certainly in terms of um, you know we spent a lot of this year fretting about energy price rises and the impact on the sort of monthly finances of a household of another 200 300 pounds on energy bills not to not to be dismissed but that isn't really the problem the problem is going to be mortgage repayments and obviously not everyone has a mortgage so that's it's specific but um yeah they, those those rises in repayments are going to be many times that for, yeah for, for some and indeed people. they are and, and and not least because in you know uh one of the consequences of um strongly rising house prices in recent years has been that many people have taken out mortgages which are you know frankly you know pretty stretching mm-hmm. um and were only possible um, because interest rates were very low. And if we move into an environment where interest rates, you know, reach a, a new normal, um, you know, we used to think that four or five percent interest rates was normal. Mm. If we move back to that environment, people who've taken out mortgages at many multiples of their salaries uh, are going to struggle. And that means potentially the return. I mean, you don't want to be too gloomy about this, but I mean, it, we have to say, it. you know, the return of things like ne- negative equity for people that have bought in the last few years you know they'll have a bit of headroom there but but depending on the size of falls if they arrive um we could be looking at that and and a problem that i foresee on the horizon is around um buy to let landlords and people who uh own a property remortgage it pull out the equity that they've gained as the market has risen Mm. um then they're going to have to refinance their their borrowing and the value of those houses are falling at the same time. I mean, it's an ugly equation. Yeah, it is. I mean, of course, we've been here before. I mean, I remember 30 years ago, you know, very clearly when um, something similar happened in, in the housing market. And it does take quite a few years to work its way through. I mean, you know, it, it will work its way through and inflation will help. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it could, could be it could be a tricky period for for the industry and so uh, you know the movement in share prices uh, which is where this question started doesn't really surprise me at all no. it's going to be a difficult difficult outlook for those companies okay okay well let's move on for now tom um the next question is this there's always talk about buying the dip so if someone is fully invested and has a diversified portfolio is it worthwhile rebalancing from from the best performance best performers to the weaker ones and yeah, it's an interesting sort of portfolio management mm. question. It is an interesting question because um, yeah, n- normally I would say that that is not a that's not a great strategy because there is there's a reason why the good performers are the good performers. Uh, it's because they're the better companies or the better funds. 
And so it seems slightly counterintuitive to rotate out of your best investments into your into your worst investments. However, if um, if the reason for the underperformance uh, is that, uh, you know, essentially the baby's been thrown out with the bathwater and that everything has just been sold off, then, uh, you know, an, an argument can be made that 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 buying the funds or the shares which have fallen the most may see them uh, bounce back. So I don't think there's a I don't think there's a simple answer and I think you need to look at each investment on its own on its own merits. Yeah, and and what occurred to me reading this question was that there, there is certainly logic in in this because you're buying uh, buying low and selling high. That's mm. the aim of all investing. Um and regular rebalancing does make sense if you bought a fund that's what, you know, that encompassed many regions or assets. That's what that would be doing a lot, wouldn't mm. it? You know. Yep. But um in practice, it's hard because it means selling things that have done well, buying things that are not popular, not in fashion, you know, uh, look like they're going down. You know, that's what it actually means in practice. So psychologically, it's a lot harder to do. Mm. And also, it, it's a it's a version of trying to time the market, essentially. Whereas I think as an investor, what you should be more focused on is buying the best, buying high quality and and seeing through the cycle uh, with those with those high qualities. So I think you know I think in in summary I would I would disagree with the premise. I would I would actually stick with with quality. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, the next question, Tom. It's actually I mean it's not unconnected. It's another sort of portfolio question, and it is this: Hi, Tom. As the era of cheap money appears to be over, do you think a sixty forty equity bond portfolio strategy is wise going forward? Well, because um, uh, it hasn't worked this year. It hasn't has it? worked at all. No, and it, ha- it hasn't worked this year because uh, for, for different reasons, both bonds and shares have, have done badly. Uh, the bond market has fallen because interest rates have been rising and so bond yields have risen. And as we know, bond yields and bond prices move in opposite directions. It's been a bad year for bonds. It's been a bad year for the equity market, for shares, because Investors have been looking forward to the prospect of uh, possible recession and lower um, corporate earnings. Uh, so it's been bad for both. Now, uh, we've talked about the bond market and 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 my sort of greater positivity about about bonds. I also am increasingly um, uh, positive about um, the stock market, although I accept that in both cases and probably even more so with the stock market. I may be quite early in this mm-hmm. change of heart because I do think that that stock markets could could fall um, further from from here. However, great bit of wisdom about the stock market is that you shouldn't become more bearish, more negative uh, as prices fall. And it's absolutely right because as prices fall, the 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 potential returns uh, improve, uh, the opportunities uh, start to arise. And it's precisely at these moments that you should start um, looking for opportunities. So I think, you know, we may be early, but uh, the outlook will improve for the equity market. Shares move a long time before uh, the environment improves, a long time before earnings improve. Uh, and if you wait for confirmation from the economy or from the market then you know you will have to a large extent missed the boat so i think start thinking about um uh preparing for the recovery while everything is looking pretty grim around you that's the time to be doing it uh so i actually think the, so the question is about the 60 40 should i have a balance of 
yes, over the long run, I think having a balance of bonds and equities is a good idea because they tend to move in different directions and so they can smooth the ride. I actually think the, the, the possibility is that we may have a period next year when both shares and bonds actually rise. Mm. So, uh, yes, uh, it will be good to have a 60-40 balanced portfolio, but not for the reason that most people go into a 60-40, which is the, the, the diversification. I yeah. think they'll be good because they'll both do well. Yeah, I, I was reading about uh, this before we came into record today, and, and, and I was reading some analysis, I think in the US context, and explaining that, that should we have a year in 2022 when both those assets fall in, in value... Um, and it looks like that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that will be the first time since 1969 that that's that that's happened over a calendar year. Now, entirely possible. Um, you know, the, the the correlation between the two assets is not perfectly negative, mm-hmm. as it as it were. That it doesn't always work, but in broad terms, it has worked. One year of it not working does not disprove it ever working again. No, absolutely. Uh, I think you know the the in the long run, the you know the the um, that you know the the message is 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 right you know that that having a having a diversified portfolio whether it's by geography or whether it's across asset classes is going to give you a smoother ride yeah okay well let's uh, uh move on the last question in fact today tom is this my portfolio was and is heavily geared towards growth stocks so the terrific gains of 2020 and 2021 have been eaten up this year is the medium or long term outlook for such stocks still positive so. Well, I think it is. You know, I, you know. I mean, the reason why um, people invested in these high-growth uh, technology stocks is because the world is changing rapidly, and um, those these companies are on the front line of that change, and they will they will benefit from those changes uh, over the long haul. In the short run, um, you know, what's happened to interest rates has been a negative for those companies, which which have you know a, a long. Uh, trajectory ahead of them of, of of growth because their future growth you know is 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 less valuable yeah. in today's money in an environment of higher interest rates than it was in an environment of low interest rates so it's not been a great um, environment for investing in those stocks but it doesn't take away from the long-term um, positive story uh, around those industries yeah and and and, and I, I would just echo a lot of that tom you know structurally it might be harder you know a lot of their price going into this year was based on the fact that if in a world where growth is low where inflation is low the company that can just continue you know, churn out earnings earnings growth year after year after year it just looks it just looks great and as you say, it was pulling pulling a lot of value from the future to now because because that value wasn't being eroded away. Um, that it's going to be hard to get back to that situation. I I would imagine, and it might take a long time if ever that mm. happens. But is Google still a good company? Does it does it enjoy advantages? You know, are there clever people there coming up with clever things? Yes, mm. in answer to all those mm. questions. So they are they are high quality companies, and that will out on some level so i think the growth will remain there the valuations may may struggle to get back to their previous high levels but uh, over time the growth is more important than the valuation okay okay well we've answered absolutely loads there tom and i'm afraid that is 
all the time we have for now. Thanks so much for coming in and giving your answers today, Tom. I'll remind listeners again that the investment outlook is available to read at the Markets and Insights section at fidelity.co.uk. There's also a series of videos recorded by Tom that focus on the main asset classes. And there's the Q&A video that I mentioned earlier, where Tom and I answer even more of your questions. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.